Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hi, everybody. Cheryl Atkinson here. Welcome to another edition of Full Measure After Hours. Today, I'm going to talk about the biggest sexual abuse court case in history. It's against the Boy Scouts of America. Something I think you all know that I try to do is dig into stories that are not ones that are presented to me by some corporate or political interest or public relations firm. Believe it or not, that is how a lot of news organizations get their stories, what a lot of reporters use as sources. I try to just talk to regular folks, kind of watch what's going on, see what's out there. And that's how I came about my cover story on this week's episode of Full Measure, This is the one that will be airing on Sunday, March 21st, and it's about a giant group of claims against the Boy Scouts of America. How did I come across that? Well, probably like a lot of you, as I've watched TV over the past year or so, I was seeing some of these ads, and the ads were basically soliciting potential victims, saying that if you were a victim of the Boy Scouts of sexual abuse at any time in the past... There's a deadline coming up to file a claim. And I thought, I hadn't really heard much about that. It's not that it's not been reported at all on the news, but I guess just not prominently enough that I knew much about it. So I started looking around, digging in, seeing what's behind it. What an incredible story and a very sad story, really. I mean, who would have predicted that the name Boy Scouts would be so tied to sexual predators as it now is because of this case? The group that made its name teaching survival skills to boys is fighting for its own survival after all of these cases. More than 95,000 people have filed claims against the Boy Scouts, which is a nonprofit. So my cover story looks at how a bankruptcy case, which is how this started out, turned into the biggest sexual abuse lawsuit in history. And I started, I will start as you'll see in the story, by talking to a man named Philip Clark, a very brave guy who told me that he has never spoken of this abuse publicly or even with his family until now. In the 1970s, he was a 12-year-old boy growing up in Bossier City, Louisiana. And like a lot of kids who joined the Boy Scouts, he was the son of a mom who was single at the time. She was raising three boys And I remember this too. My mom was raising a son because I have one brother. And without a father in their life every day, a lot of moms think, you know, the Boy Scouts will give some sort of male exposure, some leadership from men to a boy that's in a household with a mom. You know, this seems like a good idea. At least it did back then. And so Philip Clark was enrolled uh, Through school, I believe, at first, a program offered at school, the Boy Scouts. And the mom thought, yeah, you know, this will help him be a man. They'll get to do things in nature. 
But it turns out at this first troop that he was with, Clark tells a story of being among a boy, a group of boys that was handpicked to go on while they were on a camping trip alone into a scout leader's tent. So they're on a camp out. He gets called in and he says, basically, the leader tells him to take off his shirt so that he can put the badge, you know, they're working on badges, earning them, so that he can put the badge on the shirt. And as odd as that request is to a 12-year-old boy who's been doing normal things so far, fishing and starting fires and so on with these authority figures, with this man, it may seem a little odd, but, you know, you just comply. So he says he took off his shirt and um, next, you know, the pants were to come off. I will let him tell the story if you watch Sunday. He gives a little more detail about what happened to him. But I think what's really significant is when he left that troop, I think he said his mom was not even quite sure what had happened to him or if it had happened to him. You know, you're 12 years old. You're embarrassed. You're horrified. What story he told to his mom, I'm not even sure. I don't know that he even remembers, but he's just not positive his mom really knew exactly what had happened. And she put him in another troop. So now there's a Boy Scout troop in their neighborhood. And here, he says, he got abused again by a den mother. So a woman's leading the Boy Scouts. If you've ever been involved with them, you know, if a woman's leading instead of a man, she's called the den mother. But she would have, Clark says, male friends come to the meetings when the boys were there. And he will describe in the story an incident that happened with her, the den mother, and a male visitor that was at the house at the time. So it's so outrageous and would be almost hard to believe if these stories haven't been repeated thousands and thousands of times, variations on the same theme. So backing up a little, just for a minute, I did some research to find out when the Boy Scouts started. You know, it's not really on one single date because there's evidence of Boy Scouts and Boy Scout troops prior to the official founding. There's even some video and some documentary evidence of the Boy Scouts existing in the United States and in Canada. But we do know that it was founded shortly after 1900. And statistically, the Boy Scouts claims that 130 million youngsters have taken part in Boy Scouts over all of this time, and that they've had about 35 million adult volunteers. Well, this wave of sexual abuse claims is pretty much entirely allegations about male volunteers or troop leaders against boys. Some of the allegations would qualify as pedophilia. I believe that's technically when an adult is attracted to a child who hasn't gone through puberty yet. Um, In some cases, these were children that had, that were in their teens, 16, 17, 18, and sometimes the abuses went on for years. And a lot of these specific claims have now come out through a Chapter 11 bankruptcy case that the Boy Scouts filed early last year. So I spoke to an attorney, Steve Babin, who represents Clark, by the way, and lots of other victims, about how the case came about. And he said, you know, this was started by the Boy Scouts because there were getting to be lawsuits filed across the country saying similar things about abuses. And he says the Boy Scouts must have done some internal audits and investigations and realized that the financial liability was huge because of the number of victims and what had happened. So they could either litigate in regular court against these individual cases that might 
be pretty endless, or what they decided to do was to go into a bankruptcy proceeding to see if they could resolve all of these cases at once through some kind of reorganization and put them to rest and then survive as the Boy Scouts after having made a global payment of some kind. So I went to look to see if there's 95,000 claims, you know, where have some of these been in terms of the public record? Have there been many public cases of scouts who have been, of scout leaders who have been brought to trial and prosecuted? And there are, there are a lot of them. So I'll read you a few of them that I found just by way of example. So there's many, many thousands, but there was a former scout leader named David Kress, accused of giving boys as young as age 10 liquor and showing them porn before raping them and threatening them if they're told. He's now serving 15 years in prison. So these are people who've been caught. There's a former Boy Scout Catholic chaplain named James Glosson who's serving 40 years for sexually assaulting six boys, one of them who is developmentally disabled. There's a former scout leader named Matthew Baker who got life in prison after molesting boys as young as age eight and allegedly trying to have some of them killed. Former scout leader Ronald Rowcliffe pleaded guilty after boys said that he grabbed their genitals while adjusting their shooting stance during some sort of shooting lessons. Former scout leader Carlos Acevedo is serving life in prison after raping a 12-year-old and selling him for sex with other men. Ex-Boy Scout volunteer Thomas Dulesky was found dead in prison last year where he was serving 45 years for abusing six boys. Former Scout leader Daryl Fisher serving an 18-year sentence after sexually assaulting boys and forcing them to change a soiled diaper he wore. David Watkins, another Scout official, 30 years he's serving on 36 counts. And by the way, when his case came out, he defended the sex that he had with boys as being consensual. Arthur Sorensen Jr., he's serving 15 years in prison now after charges that involve child porn and rape. And there are so many more. Scott Wartman, Bruce Quick, Michael Kelsey, all ex-scout leaders serving time for molesting boys. So there have been a lot of abusers convicted along the way, but nobody seems to have the exact numbers. But one thing they do know is that the Boy Scouts kept files of a lot of the cases they knew about, and they called them the perversion files. We will explore that right after a short break. Do you have something to say and want to make your own podcast? Let me tell you how to do that for free with Anchor. Anchor has creation tools that let you record and edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer. You can even add any song from Spotify directly to your episodes. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more places. And you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's all you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Americans are rightly alarmed by the increasingly tight grip on the news and information by special interests, corporate interests, and big tech. In my new book, Slanted, How the News Media Taught Us to Love Censorship and Hate Journalism, I tell the important inside story of how we got here and the Orwellian world where we will find ourselves if the course isn't altered. Pick up a copy of Slanted today.
we're back. So the perversion files, these are, according to attorney Steve Babin, a list of people that the Boy Scouts kept who were accused of child sexual abuse. And what the Boy Scouts did with the list was basically keep them secret. Now, the Boy Scouts, I believe, have argued this was actually a list not to cover things up, but to make sure that they knew about claims, some of which could not necessarily be verified, but they wanted to be sure that certain people that had complaints against them didn't show up in other troops. So they will say and have said that this perversion files was nothing nefarious or cover-up-ish. This was actually them trying to get to the heart of the problem, but it sounds a little bit like allegations with the Catholic Church because the attorney Babin says sometimes the accused people were simply moved to another troop or quietly moved out of the Boy Scouts without anybody being alerted. And we'll talk in a moment about the repercussions that can come with that. So again, the Boy Scouts organization has admitted that it kept these extensive confidential files over the decades, but claims that their goal was to keep sexual abusers out of scouting. But in those files, we now know was one example, a case of a guy named Douglas Nail. Now, Douglas Nail was a scout volunteer, and he was accused of molesting a boy at a Boy Scout sleepover way back in 1984. And when this happened, I believe it was a parent or a mom that alerted the scouts, he was allowed to quietly resign. And again, the scouts might say, well, we didn't really have enough information to, you know, have a criminal complaint filed. Maybe the parent didn't want to. Maybe this wasn't something that she wanted to go through with on behalf of her son to draw attention to. But what happened was, because there was no resolution of this charge or allegation against Douglas Nail, he resigned, but he spent the next two decades coaching youth hockey. He got into another business or volunteer job that involved boys. And eventually he was formally accused of molesting an eight-year-old. And then as those allegations were kind of being fleshed out, in 2004, now 20 years after the scouts first flagged him as a potential predator, he was convicted on federal child porn charges. So the idea here is allegations on one side that if the scouts had not been so good at kind of covering up or keeping these cases quiet, not only would it have saved other boys from being abused, but maybe the use of the Boy Scouts by some predators is sort of a place to get victims. Maybe that wouldn't have happened or it would have changed. And instead, it became a pretty well-known place on the part of some predators to get close to boys and to find victims. Now, of course, I asked the Boy Scouts of America for an interview request, and they declined. And in fact, we found a couple of different people affiliated with the Boy Scouts who wanted to do interviews and talk about the good things the Boy Scouts do and why they should survive as an organization. But then the Boy Scouts would somehow get them to cancel the interview. Like they would agree to the interview. And then before we could do it, they would say that they got word that, you know, they got asked not to do it. So it's hard to get the side of, to both sides of a story sometimes when this happens. But I searched around and the Boy Scouts has put out a lot of information and kind of their side of the story. They have said before that nothing is more important than the safety and protection of children. And they have, as recognition of some of these problems, put in some new policies. So let's talk about a couple of those. 
Um, the policies include, they say, a new multi-layered process of safeguards. They have banned one-on-one encounters between adults and children. So supposedly no more would there be a scout master or volunteer calling in a child by himself. There are now criminal background checks, good idea, and then mandatory reporting of suspected abuse to police, something that didn't happen all of these years. I do want to acknowledge that I have focused in my report that you'll see Sunday on proven cases where there have been admissions and convictions. There are accusations, and some of them may not be proven, and some may even be false. That's always a possibility. And I'll bring up the case where there's still an open question about an attorney and former scout leader named Barry Rosas who's been accused. So he's an attorney and a former scout leader, and he was arrested in February on a rape charge because his name was among 28 complaints that the local Boy Scouts Council where he was turned over to police. Now they got the names, the Boy Scouts Council, through the bankruptcy case. So I guess the National Boy Scouts, as they get claims, They must be turning over names and allegations to local councils. And in this case, the local council, I guess, told the police and it led to the arrest of Barry Rosas, an attorney. Barry Rosas says he is absolutely innocent. And he even held a press conference that said, there are no circumstances that can ever be misconstrued as him him having done anything inappropriate in all of his years as being a scout leader. So, of course, we have to keep in mind that Whenever a lawsuit set of claims comes up, it doesn't obviously mean that everybody who's accused is guilty. But the big question, with all the claims, and many of them proven already, will the Boy Scouts of America survive the financial hit? It's being negotiated now how much they would or will have to compensate proven victims. And what will be the process of proving a victim? Will each of them have to provide a great deal of detail? Will some of them be thrown out? if it was so long ago and they can't remember or prove certain details, or will the benefit of the doubt go to the alleged victims? And then will the Boy Scouts of America survive the damage to the brand name? Will people want to put their children in the Boy Scouts anymore? I'm not sure how popular it's been for the last 10 or 15 years because I don't have children of that age, but will they be able to survive? So I also spoke to, since the Boy Scouts wouldn't do an interview, a former scout and scout leader who did agree to talk with us to talk about the good side of scouting and why he thinks the organization deserves to and should survive. His name is Chuck Pajeski, and he has a long and storied history with the scouts, first as a scout and then leading scouting. And we talked a lot. Of course, I couldn't use but only so much in the television story for time purposes, but he really talked a lot about all of the great experiences he had with scouting, all of the things he learned to do, the outdoor adventure learning, how it impacted the jobs that he does today with his life, the confidence that he drew. And he makes the point that if you want to tear down the Boy Scouts as an organization, what do you have left in this country? He said, sure, maybe it was flawed, but if it can be fixed, why tear it apart when right now we really need places where boys and girls can go and have these educational experiences that you really can't get at school and most kids aren't really getting at home, these opportunities that aren't available. I hope you'll watch the story Sunday on Full Measure. 
Let's spend just a minute talking about what else I have in this week's program. A great interview with the Democrat Congressman Henry Cuellar of Texas about the border crisis. No state is harder hit than is Texas right now. Texas is, unlike Arizona, where most of the people come across, the illegal immigrants who come here many times to work and, as they say, find a better life, more of the drugs cross in Arizona. And as Henry Cuellar will explain quite eloquently in a way better than I could, all of this traffic is dictated. A lot of people don't know. I think even reporters don't know if they haven't visited the border and done the legwork. Almost everybody who crosses the southern border of the United States from Mexico has to have been coordinated on that trip and paid money to the drug cartels and human traffickers. So every time that happens, and we're calling it a great humanitarian thing, that these people who need help are coming to the U.S., we're feeding and making more powerful the drug cartels and human trafficking cartels. They get on average $6,000 a person. They decide every person that crosses the border whether they get to go or not, where they go, and they'll use these diversionary tactics. They will, right now, while the southern border of Texas is being overwhelmed by the groups of minors, unaccompanied minors being sent over with groups by the cartels to get the others into the United States, a big paid operation. While that's happening, they know Border Patrol agents are overwhelmed doing social work and they're not able to man the border for drugs. So they go to places where they know they don't have enough agents to watch and they're moving in huge amounts of drugs. I mean, this is just what they do strategically. As Henry Cuellar, the congressman, pointed out, these cartels are huge multinational organizations with lawyers and accountants. They're constantly measuring what the trends are in the United States. And new with the Biden administration coming in, um, accurately predicted what some of the changes would be and began marketing you know, what was going to happen to people in Central America and beyond to create this market for people to come in the caravans. These, these don't happen organically alone by chance. The cartels arrange all of this. Anyway, one bit of news that Congressman Cuellar, I thought, had was that he seems to think in his talks with the Biden administration that because of this crisis, they're rethinking being in such a rush to do away with some of President Trump's get-tough policies that were proving very effective in the past year. So he'll talk about that on full measure. And then Scott Thuman has a great story about China policy. I mean, sometimes maybe people's eyes glaze over when we talk about China and foreign policy. I try to do stories about some of this on full measure in a way that tells us why it matters to us and why we should care. And if you're not following these issues in great detail, we try not to talk over your head because I don't follow them in that great detail either a lot of times. But you still maybe want to get an overview of what's going on. So we ask Scott to go find a Democrat and a Republican to kind of analyze and talk about what President Biden's policy about China is, why it's so important, why China's so important, and how Biden seems to differ from Trump. And I'll give you one hint. There's not a whole lot of difference so far, according to these experts, between the way the Biden administration views and is talking about treating China and the way the Trump administration did. So I thought that was pretty interesting. And the last thing I will take a look at is the horrifying media mistake that the Washington Post had to admit to in this past week. Another anti-Trump, really inexcusable journalistic mistake. 
So I hope you'll check out our newscast Sunday, March 21st. If you don't know where to watch or where there's a station near you, I have just updated the station list because it changes from time to time, the times and the places and the listings. But you can go to CherylAxon.com and click Full Measure, the tab, and it has a list by state and city. If that's too complicated or if you don't have a TV station near you, I always say the easiest way to watch is just to go online, fullmeasure.news. We post all of the stories around noon Eastern time on Sundays after they air on TV. And you can watch last week's stories. You can watch the last two weeks of the border investigations that I did from Arizona, uh, the Arizona-Mexico border. Those are posted there now, so you can watch anytime. And you can even watch live online at 9.30 a.m. Eastern Time at fullmeasure.news slash live. There should be a banner up there you can actually click right at 9.30 Eastern Time. But if not, if you just add slash, that's a forward slash live, it will take you to the live feed. So lots of ways to watch. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. I'm trying to shed light on and give voice to various views, scientific studies, factual information that others are trying to censor in this very dangerous environment. Whether I agree with the views or not, that's not what's important. It's to protect the free flow of information in America. And here's how we can defeat information control. Go to CherylAckison.com and check out the Censored tab for more stories and information on censored people, topics, and studies, left, right, and nonpartisan. When you hear that powerful interests or big tech are trying to censor or ban or controversialize information and keep you from getting it, that should be your signal to find out more about the topic that they're trying to control. Also, I hope you will check out my book, Slanted, How the News Media Taught Us to Love Censorship and Hate Journalism. Read the reviews on Amazon of Slanted, and it might help convince you that there's information here you need. Do your own research, make up your own mind, Think for yourself.